church on this wonderful morning. Uh, a few announcements, and then we'll have a, a prayer time and, and an offering. Uh, several news items in the bulletin. I would encourage you to check those out. A few things to highlight. First of all, we want to say congratulations to Mark and Marilee. They had a baby boy on Thursday, Hendrix Joseph, and uh, we're pretty excited for them. So we will be uh, also arranging the, uh, the takethemameal.com thing to, to bring some meals. And so if you'd be interested in helping out with that, contact the office and um, we'll, we'll get you squared away with that. Also, a reminder, on March 31st, we're doing the, um, uh, the Easter egg hunt, uh, kind of Love Henderson Kindness Project, handing out drinks to the adults. We have a sign-up sheet in the back if, you'd be, if you're interested in helping out with that. That is just a neat way to, to bless people and remind them that, uh, that they are loved by God. We also have about 250 water bottle labels that we're going to need to put on water bottles. So if you have free time some afternoon and be willing to help with that, uh, put your name on the sheet as well, too, and, and we'll um, arrange that. Um, Easter is coming up. We're, we have Palm Sunday next Sunday. Then we're doing a Monday Thursday service. Uh, we had talked about a Friday, but we're going to do a Monday-Thursday service. That will be in here at 7 p.m. and then, of course, Easter. And a reminder that April 4th is our last Wednesday night live, and we're going to have a carnival theme evening. That's always a lot of fun. And just one more time, in, in case you've uh, been gone for a couple weeks, but um, we are entering into the dis- rebranding discussion. And um, if you have thoughts or ideas, the, the bulletin, there's a tear-off sheet. And so you can write down any ideas that, that you like and either stick that in the offering plate or hand that to myself or an usher afterwards. And you can also see some of the conversation and discussion that's happening on the back of that. So we're uh, enjoying facilitating conversation around that. And Palm Sunday Kids. You are just a reminder to that. You're, we're going to have you help with that. So you're going to be coming in with palm branches and singing a couple songs. Did I cover it? We good? Okay. Next Sunday. Next Sunday. For the prayer time, uh, I would encourage you to uh, remember Jen Goosen. Right now she's on a missions trip in East Asia. She'll be there till the 25th. We want to be praying for them. Continue uh, to pray for Mark and Marilee and transition. And... Um, uh, I think we put in the bulletin to uh, Jody Hubert's son-in-law was was in an accident. It was, it was a farm accident. He's okay. Uh, I, I texted Jody. Apparently, he was behind a manure spreader and someone flipped the the wrong switch and and so he got sprayed or something. So he's sore and bruised, but okay. So that's the that's the follow up on on that. And we want to pray for Tiffany Dick as well too, who will be traveling to Mayo at the end of the month and just as she continues on with cancer, uh, or with treatments. So let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and for your mercy. God, thank you that by your design we get to live here and serve here. That we get to be a part of this church and a part of this community. Lord, this morning, as we study your word and reflect on your truth, God, it's our desire that this community would would always know that they are loved by, by you. 
Lord, we ask for your creativity in conveying that message. Your faithfulness in conveying that message. God, thank you for your faithfulness to us, to your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that your blessings are new every morning. We love you, Lord. Amen.
Well, this morning we're privileged to have Stephen with us, uh, representing the Gideons, and um, yeah, uh, just excited to have him here. Um, you should have gotten a handout with your bulletin that looks like this, that has some more information. There is a, a, a table back there that'll have some more information. Of course, he'll be hanging out afterwards if you'd like to talk or have some questions. Also, there is an envelope in the handout. If, you, if you're interested in supporting them financially, you can... Put your donation in there and then hand it directly to him. Just any checks, just write directly to Gideon's International. But uh, yeah, we're privileged to have you here. Thank Thanks, you. Stephen. Thank Ask Jack why he was in prison, and he'll tell you it was because he made an unofficial withdrawal of funds from a federally insured financial institution with a 38 revolver. Jack was one of those guys that always swam upstream, and just because he was in prison, that didn't change who Jack was. And so Jack found himself under lockdown more times than he'd care to admit. And when the announcement was made that the Gideons were coming into that prison, and any prisoner, even those under lockdown, would be allowed to attend, Jack saw a window of opportunity. In his words, he was getting kind of squirrely, staring at those same four walls every day. Once he got into that Bible study, a Gideon by the name of Jimmy Klein came up to Jack and said, Jack, do you know that God loves you? Jack laughed and scoffed. God doesn't love me. Nobody loves me. My mama doesn't even love me. Well, it's not true, Jack. In fact, he talks about you in his word. Where? Turn to the book of John. My name is Jack. My name is not John. I don't care if your name's Jack or John. In the third chapter of the 16th verse, you're referred to as a whosoever. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
And that piqued Jack's interest that day. He took that Bible back to his cell, and every spare moment Jack had, he read that book until he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Him and the other six guys that attended that Bible study from beginning to end are out of prison today. Those other six guys went on to Bible school and are pastors today, serving God full time. And Jack, well, he's a member of the Gideons International. Gideons is a Christian business and professional men's association, and we go back to 1899. Today, there are over 300,000 Gideons and auxiliary members functioning around the world in 201 countries, all united with one purpose. That purpose is to win men and women, boys and girls, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We do that through our own personal witnessing as well as through the distribution of God's Word. Last year, because of the generosity of churches like this one, we handed out over 87 million copies of God's Word. That's getting close to three copies every second of every minute. And yet with a world population around 7.5 billion, you can see that the work is far from over. This Bible cost the Gideons $5. $5 will publish and place this Bible anywhere in the world. In a hotel in this country, it has a life expectancy of six years and a potential readership of 2,300 readers for $5. These testaments cost us about a dollar and a quarter. $125 will buy either a box of 100 testaments or a box of 25 Bibles. And I challenge this church, how many boxes of Bibles will you provide today through the ministry of the Gideons International to a lost and dying world? Ed Davison was in a board meeting, and the secretary was weeping as she shared with the board that the money that had been collected to buy flowers for the funeral of their fallen co-worker was still in an envelope in her desk drawer, and the funeral was days ago. And not only was she confessing her oversight, but she was asking, what should I do with this money? Led stood up, and he said, I'm a member of the Gideons, and we have this really neat card program. And what we can do is we can send the money to the Gideons, and they'll turn it into Bibles, Bibles that have the power to save lives for eternity and at the same time we can send this card to the to the widow and the family and express our loss and our grief the board voted to do that the money was sent the the card was sent and a few days later a thank you note came back from the widow expressing her deep appreciation and how appropriate this gesture had been because her husband the deceased 30 years earlier during an illness and a hospital stay had picked up a Gideon scripture and read it and came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. And now that 30-year-old Bible that witnessed to her husband now was witnessing to that entire company in the form of that thank you note that was posted on the bulletin board for everyone to read. These testimonies, as well as the many, many others I don't have time to tell you today, are a fulfillment of the promise of Isaiah 55:11, where God says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me empty or void, but it shall accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. I want to thank your pastor, Pastor Hadel, and you members of the Mennonite Brethren Church for allowing me the privilege and the honor to speak to you today about the ministry of the Gideons International. You see, we consider ourselves to be an extended, extended missionary arm of this church serving God right here as well as across Nebraska and around the world in 201 countries. May God richly bless you as you endeavor to serve him. Thank you. Thank you. Like I said, he'll be around afterwards for any questions, and so I'd encourage you to chat with him. Uh, today we are concluding the last part in the sermon series entitled I Love My Church. 
And uh, as part of this, I wanted to create a space where you guys could hear from one another on why you love this church. And so if I talk to you about sharing this morning, uh, if you would go ahead and come forward. And um, yeah, we've just been, no one's moving. Like I know I talked to some of you. Um, There we are. Um, (laughs) Yeah, just to create a space where we can hear from one another, I, I asked them to answer three questions. One is simply, how long have you been a part of this church? And We've, we've, we've gotten the spectrum on that one. Um, what is something that you love or appreciate about this church? And if you had a hope for the dream, or, or a hope or a dream for the future of this church, what would that be? And so, yeah, this, like I said, this is the last part of, of this series, and i um, so excited to hear from this. So, Virg, you're mostly closest. We're going to start with you. They always, like, hug the piano. <laughs> I thought it was always ladies first. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, is this on? Yes. I guess it is. I'm probably kind of like, like Leroy Dick was last Sunday. I've, I've been in this church for 82 years and nine months. <laughs> and so all my life except for about a few years when I was in college and in service. But I have always loved this church from little on up. I grew up in the Sunday school and many teachers have taught me God's word and there for a number of years I was a teacher and part of the deacon board so I've been involved and uh, we spent a couple of months in in Phoenix this winter but every morning we pray for this church and uh, always have and will it was uh, I was 14 years old when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior right there on that bench. There was an evangelist by the name of J.J. Taves who came, and we had evangelistic services for a full week. And uh, just shortly before that, in fact, about a week before that, we buried my dad. And so it was extra special for me to kneel at that bench. So, uh, I've been here all my life. And what I really want to see is that we reach out to our people in Henderson. I know there's people here that don't know the Lord, that don't go to church. And if it helps to change the name, I'm ready for that. I'm Nicole Mira, and our family has been here for four and a half years. And I would say we originally came just out of convenience because we lived across the street. But I would say (laughs) um, that we've stayed because of the people and the heart of the people here. I know um, a lot of you that I've gotten to know and I think really um, capture uh, the heart of what... um, of the Bible, of what God is saying um, through his word. So that's the reason we've stayed. And my vision, I had to bring this paper up because it's better read than, and it's short, so it won't take too long, sorry. Um, This is written by a missionary. Her name was Karen Watson, and she was killed um, in Iraq. And so she left behind a letter um, that said, open in case of death. It said, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this in the event of death. 
When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible. My heart for the nations, I wasn't called to a place. I was called for him. My objective, or to obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory, my reward. The missionary heart, and this is the part that um, I guess would be my vision for each person in this room and for the youth uh, moving forward is uh, the missionary heart cares more than some think is wise, risks more than some think is safe, dreams more than some think is practical, and expects more than some think is possible. I was not called to comfort or success, but to obedience. There is no joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving him. I love you too and my church family. So she wrote that really well, and that would be my wish and my vision for each person here. If Annie should be in last, as I can just say what they said. <laughs> and then that's it. But uh, I've been here all my life, too, like Verge. Not quite as many years, but it's getting to be 58. So, um, And uh, what I appreciate has been, you know, the whole time I've been here is we've had a lot of committed people from Sunday school leaders to our Sunday school teachers to youth leaders to leadership in the church and to uh, just the people. There's a lot of committed people here, and that's uh, very much appreciated and examples of, of Christ-like lives. And that, I guess, goes into uh, what dreams of this church, and we can't really dream of a better pastor, I don't feel can't dream of a better worship team now we have a violin player so what more do we need <laughs> but uh just that more people in the community the area come to the lord and meet the lord like we do here thank you thanks for sharing Today we're in Matthew 5, uh, but we're actually going to start with a, a little video and uh, as kind of the intro on this. The setting of the video takes place in Vancouver, uh, so you will have to do a little bit of kind of mental translation uh, to, to maybe understand the application to rural Nebraska. But listen for the concepts and listen for the ideas in this video because I do believe that they are universal and apply to us as well, too. So we'll watch that. There are two places in the New Testament where Jesus weeps. One is over the death of a really close friend. The other is while looking out over the city that he loves. He weeps over a person, and he weeps over a place. We think about this, it's pretty staggering. Our Savior wasn't emotionally removed from the places where he lived and walked. The city meant something to him on a profound level because it represented people and stories and culture. Our culture has a few dominant ideas when it comes to the city. We tend to see cities as places of success and possibility, but that leads us to seeing the city as something that exists for us. We take from it what we can, or we detach from it, choosing individualism over community and common need. But for followers of Christ, God invites us to engage with our cities in an uncommon way. He asks us to love our neighbors, to 
serve our city. He tells us to seek the welfare of the city where I've called you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. No matter our context or setting, we exist to know and to worship Jesus, to seek him, and to gaze upon his beauty. And when we look to him, we do not encounter a God who's detached from the needs and the messiness of the world around us. In fact, we find a God who steps into the mess so that we can know him and know his love. We encounter a God who is renewing all things and making all things new. And in this God, the same God who weeps over cities, we encounter a God who invites us to exist, not for the sake of ourselves, but for the sake of others, to love our neighbors, to pray for and seek out the lost and the lonely, to live a generosity and hospitality, to care for the poor and the orphan and the oppressed, care for the marginalized, and seek out those without shelter. Vancouver is beautiful, that's obvious, but it's also deeply broken and confused and isolated and laced with injustice. And in that, it's easy to look at our city and say that the task of loving this city is too big. So we detach or we become numb. But in all the places where we encounter the confusion and the hurt that marks our city, we are deeply encouraged by dreams of what could be. Because there is no inch of human existence and no sphere of society where God is not at work. There is no place that is too dark or too far gone for the redemption of Christ. There is no place where he is not sovereign and good. God is at work here. Redemption and renewal are happening all around us, on these streets, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in hospitals, our offices of government, our schools, our favorite coffee shops, our sports stadiums, and our shopping malls, in all of the places that make up our regular walking around lives. God is at work. He is renewing all things, and we want to be a people who join him in this renewal process. Two places in scripture where Jesus is weak, over the death of a good friend and over a place that he loves. So does Jesus ever weep over Henderson? I mean, it kind of seems unlikely, right? I mean, we have Veronica. We don't mow our lawn on Sunday. Like, we're nailing this, right? Like, what else is there? Is there ever pain in Henderson? Death. Is there ever rebellion against God? Is there ever refusal of his salvation and grace? Is there ever bitterness? Is there ever pride and anger? Is there ever selfish living? I believe that to love Christ is to weep when he weeps. I've worked with a lot of missionaries, encountered a lot of missionaries, and I would say that if you want to live missionally in any community, anywhere in the world, one of the best places to start is with tears and understanding the place 
where God's heart breaks for a people or a people group. She made the comment that our culture has two dominant ideas about cities, that we tend to see cities as places of success and and possibility. But I I would actually uh, push on that a little bit and say that actually anytime we move anywhere and, and, and really anytime we live someplace, we do that because we believe that that location holds some kind of possibility for us. Possibility in career, possibility in success, possibility in uh, uh, financial, um, perhaps there's a family proximity. But it, it's the same concept that holds true for both the cities and the rural is that we move there for us. We live there, we stay there for us. And wherever we live or move to, we are there because it's something that can benefit us. And so then tied in with that is actually the subtle idea that we expect to take from it something that we find valuable. And that's a powerful thought. Don't miss that. We live where we live because we assume that it will benefit us. Career, finances, closer to family, whatever it is. We expect to receive from it. We are expecting to take from it. The video continues with this narrative. But as followers of Christ, God calls us to engage in our cities, or wherever we live, in an uncommon way. In this God, the God who weeps over cities, we encounter a God who invites us to exist not for ourselves, but for the sake of others. To love our neighbors, to pray for and seek out the lost and the lonely, to live with generosity and hospitality, to care for the poor and the orphan and depressed, the marginalized, to seek out those without shelter. It is easy to look at the brokenness around us and say that the task of loving this place is too big. But in all places where we encounter the confusion and hurt that marks our city, we are deeply encouraged by dreams of what could be. There is no place too dark, too far gone for the redemptive work of Christ. No place where God is not sovereign and good. In all the places that make up our regular walking around lives, God is at work. And we want to be a people who join God in this renewal process. That may be the most eloquent description of transformed communities I've encountered yet. And it doesn't just describe a strategy, it describes the heart behind it. Wherever we live, God calls us to live uncommon lives, not for our benefit, but for the benefit of others. Matthew 5.13 popular verse. It's in the middle of of a teaching section uh, known as the Sermon on the Mount. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. A lot of discussion is spent on how does salt lose its saltiness? I don't know. Which, and I'm, yeah. So, um, and that's all good. But, but, but I, I, I want to focus in on something else today. I want you to take note of this, that you are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. And those are big statements. Salt has a lot of functions. It does now. It, it does back then. Almost all of them good. Uh, it's a preservative. Uh, it adds flavor. Uh, apparently, they had a, a local substance that, that they called it salt, but it actually was some kind of fertilizer. Salt is spoken of in a favorable way. Light, light casts out darkness. Light shines in the night when we can't see where we're going. Light exposes that which is hiding. Airports have all kinds of special lights to guide planes to safety. Buildings have exit lights for in case of an emergency. Vehicles have headlights so that you can drive safely in the dark. Your phone probably has some little light that you can turn on so you can find your car keys in the middle of the night or that kind of thing. As salt and light, we are to be a good thing throughout the earth. Our behavior in the world matters. People watch us. They make assumptions about Christ and Christianity based on how we behave, how we talk. How we live is to affect others in a positive way, like salt. How we live is to be seen by others in a positive way, like light. The expectation is that those around us are blessed by us. But here's the thing, and this is very important. Us living in salt and light in the world, us living in a way that is a blessing to others and a blessing to the community, it cannot be an act of guilt. It must be an act of gratitude. The message today is not like God is great, but you're pathetic, so try harder. That's not the message. The message is I have been given so much. And from that generosity that I have received, It is my joy to pass on generosity to others. Friends, we live as people clean and holy before God, not because of our good behavior, but because Christ died in our place. On the cross, Christ took all of our sins. We received his righteousness. And now when God the Father looks at us, he sees the perfection of Christ and urges us to come before him frequently, abundantly, freely, And so because of the magnitude and the abundance of what we received, we should be the most generous people on the planet. Because it represents a small portion of what we have been given. And so this is why we do things like hand out drinks at an Easter egg hunt and serve meals on Wednesday night. And therefore, while we went door to door and handed out treats and invited people to special events... And run Alpha courses and give money to missions. For a while, the the men's prayer team prayed for this city, house by house, name by name. Partly the reason why we have a Sunday gathering that is just open to the public, right? Uh, Why we do a community church service in the park with all three churches. 
why we hand out welcome bags to people who move into the community. I don't, a few years ago, we assembled welcome bags. We called up City Hall. We said, hey, can we be the welcome wagon? And so now we have all these welcome bags, and Mike takes these welcome bags to new people who move into town. Love and grace and mercy have been extended to us with incredible generosity. And so it is our desire to extend that same love and that grace and mercy to our surrounding communities. She had a great point in the video as well, too, and this is of crucial importance. We don't do these things to gain. We do these things to give. If our agenda in all of this is just to build ourselves up or to get more attenders or build the Sunday school class or break attendance records, then we are back to that mentality of taking from the community and living for us. If we do these things so that the community will come to us, then we're actually now using the community for our purposes. That is not living in an uncommon way. That's not living as salt and light. That is not living with generosity. Instead, we do this to bless people. The church is here to bless the community. The community is the one who should benefit from this relationship and from this friendship. That's why we keep talking about this idea that we want to have people who don't have a church home to find a church home, whether it's here or another healthy church. We don't care because it isn't about personal gain. This is what's best for people. And the best thing for people is to experience the love, the grace, the forgiveness of Christ, and to become more Christ-like in the nurturing environment of a church community. If we do a dozen outreach events, if we spend thousands of dollars, if we work ourselves to the point of exhaustion, and a few dozen people realize their need for Christ, they they realize their need for church, some are saved, some are recommitted, and they all end up attending other churches. Are you prepared to call that success? Are you and I prepared to live with that kind of generosity and that kind of freedom? Are you and I prepared to live with such a global kingdom mentality that we are willing to say the gospel preached is the gospel preached regardless of who does it? And engagement in healthy church is engagement in healthy church whether here or elsewhere. Will we be okay with that kind of outcome if we are prepared for the kind of relationship where our focus is to give and not to gain and where we truly seek the good of the community? A few uh, quick fun things. Um, A few pieces of scientific research, lest you think that this is just a good prep talk. Uh, We're obviously aware that the spiritual impact of what we're doing is good, but does it extend beyond that? This last week, uh, someone uh, said the phrase, uh, we were talking about health insurance, and they said, yeah, people who attend church regularly live longer and spend less time in the hospital. I was like, really? Come on. (laughs) Yeah, they studied that, actually. Like, they, they have data on that. New York Times, April 21, 2013, T.M. Lerman, a professor of anthropological studies at Stanford, 
writes, One of the most striking scientific discoveries about religion in recent years is that going to church weekly is good for you. Religious attendance, at least religiosity, boosts the immune system and decreases blood pressure. It may add as much as two to three years to your life. The reason for why this is not entirely clear. The rest of the article is her giving theories on why this is. Based on that writing, I'm guessing non-believer. Kind of interesting. Uh, She mentions social support. That's great. She mentions uh, healthier behavior. Probably true. Uh, The one that I, I found most comical was... Since God is immaterial, we have to use our imagination to picture God. And so this exercising of our imagination is really healthy. And that somehow we're like harnessing and tapping into this placebo effect that maybe other non-Christians could learn and benefit from. (laughs) Lady, you kind of missed it on that one. Journal of American Medical Association is a peer-reviewed medical journal uh, published 48 times a year by the American Medical Association. Uh, It's just known as JAMA, J-A-M-A. June 2016, um, a study by this name, Association of Religious Service Attendance with Mortality Among Women. Uh, Results summary among the 74,534 women participants. There were 13,000 and some uh, deaths, including uh, 2,700 owing to cardiovascular, and then some more owing to cancer. Uh, After multivariable adjustments for major lifestyle factors, risk factors, and attendance at religious service, uh, the study went from 1992 to 2012. Attendance at a religious service more than once a week was associated with 33% lower all-cause mortality. And then there's some other stuff, and then they have, like, statistics as, like, their own group of symbols that I don't know what that means. Hazard ratio for cardiovascular mortality was 0.73. For cancer mortality was 0.79. Results were robust in sensitivity analysis. Conclusion and relevance. Frequent attendance at religious service was associated with a significantly lower risk of all-cause cardiovascular and cancer mortality uh, among women. Religion and spirituality may be an underappreciated resource that physicians could explore with their patients as appropriate. Regular church attendance is good for your health. So good job. It's also good for your country. I think I mentioned this one before. I looked into it a little bit more. Robert Woodbury, uh, director of the Project on Religion and Economic Change, a senior research professor at Baylor University. Most of his research uses comparative and historical and statistical methods to analyze the long-term social impact of missions and religious change on societies around the world. In his ongoing work on the history of Protestant missions, sociologist Robert Woodbury has done an amazing amount of statistical analysis using a vast volume of historical data entered by an army of student workers to demonstrate the benefits of Protestant missions. In fact, in an article in American Political Science Review from May 2012, Woodbury demonstrates historically and statistically that conversionary Protestants heavily influenced the rise and spread of stable democracy around the world. It argues that these conversionary Protestants were a crucial catalyst initiating the development and spread of religious liberty, mass education, mass printing, newspapers, voluntary organizations, and colonial reforms, thereby creating the conditions that made a stable democracy more likely. And they go through and explain how missionaries would come in 
and you want to give people the scriptures, but they're illiterate. So you teach them to read, and you bring in printing presses. And now you've upped the education level amongst men and women. And there are about four or five different categories where there were kind of spinoffs of the missionary efforts, and then all of those actually feed in to the generation and sustenance of democracy in that country. Summary, if you want democracy in a country, send in the missionaries. Because the data shows that works. It's kind of nice when the science confirms that the Bible is good for people. Does God, over, does God ever weep over Henderson, over rural Nebraska? I believe that he does. Maybe not all of Henderson, but I think we all know enough stories of brokenness and of pain or rejection of the gospel to conclude that at times and in places God is grieved. But God steps into the broken and he steps into the messy to comfort and to change and offer salvation and we follow suit. And we are to be like the salt of the earth and the light of the world and our presence is to serve and bless and give and edify and make better. And we give out of gratitude, not guilt. We give out of gratitude and thankfulness and generosity. And we do not do this for personal gain. We do this to give, to help people find Christ, to reconnect with Christ, to find a good church home because we believe that these are some of the most important things in life. Communities should know that they are loved by God. Communities should be better places because the church is there, living generously in their midst. Because we have received so much, we give so much. And while, yes, there is scientific data to show the benefits of church attendance and missionaries, ultimately we look for tangible ways to show the love of Christ out of gratitude and not guilt, and so be the salt and light of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we are thankful. And Lord, we just want to reaffirm that we are thankful, so very thankful. You have given us so much. And Lord, it is our privilege, and it is a gift to us, that we in turn can be generous to others around us because you were first generous to us. Lord, may every corner of Henderson, actually let me rephrase that, Lord, may we be faithful in letting every corner of Henderson know that they are loved by you. Lord, I pray that no person, no home, no, no subsection of community would ever not know that or ever be in doubt of that. And Lord, we're going to need some creativity and some ingenuity and some faithfulness to, to see to it that, that that happens and that everyone gets that message. But Lord, we say, here I am, use me. pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please stand with us as we respond.
Jesus, you are Jesus, you are